0: Welcome, I'm Pastor John. I hope I've got to meet everyone here personally. If I haven't, would love to get to say to you, hi to you at the end. Pastor Joe, our lead pastor, is away. And he is uh, at his 20th high school reunion. So they, he's a down in Pine Log. And uh, I don't know what you do in Pine Log for a high school reunion, but I'm sure the cows are in danger and guns have gone off. But uh, he, is, he is down there, so... Um, Enjoy, enjoy, uh, we pray that he enjoys that time away and just pray for a refreshing time for he and his wife and girls uh, and Pastor Chad and our students have been away. Thus, the uh, pink, I mean, salmon uh, shirts that you will see all of them in today. I've been told they are technically. Spottled orange. They, well, Yeah, pink. That's what I heard. All right. Uh, anyway. Chad was a little, a little thrown off when the shirts got here, so make sure you give him a hard time about that. But we're glad y'all are back. We're glad y'all have a great time, and uh, we are glad our students are part of our church. Um, we are so grateful for all of you and all the ways you serve us, and we hope you all had a great weekend. Um, and due to Chad running around like a chicken with his head cut off, we also want to say thank you to our worship team and Angela specifically um, leading us this week. Isn't it amazing that, that we have um, folks who can fill in that can lead like that. I mean, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Angela, and everybody up here. We appreciate you very much. So today we're going to be in the book of Luke. We're continuing our study through there. Our sermon today will be Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 35. If you want to open up your Bibles, um, if you don't have a Bible, um, please feel free to grab one of those out of the seat pa- seat back pockets uh, this morning, and you can open it up. Uh, it's there on page 882, and we will start in Luke 22, verse 35. We're going to read here in just a moment. But, but I want to ask some obvious questions this morning to help kind of get us into the sermon and thinking. Um, students here, I talked about our students, not, not just our, uh, junior, our middle school and high school students, but, but even our younger ones, our college students. There would be no reason for you to be shocked if your teachers gave you a test correct? I mean, that's a given, right? The student who's shocked that they get a test doesn't understand what school's about, correct? All right. Uh, But how about some of the rest of you? Are are folks finance, finance people, bookkeeping people? Are you shocked when there's an audit? It's a given, right? That's going to happen. Um, What about those of you in the medical field? Are you in absolute, utter, just awe when someone who's sick comes in to see the doctor? Right? I mean, that's, that's what you do. And so, it should be obvious that that's what's going to happen every single day, day in and day out. Right? Students, you're going to have to study. You're going to have tests. You're going to have papers. Uh, those of us um, who have jobs outside the home, it's going to be work. Whatever that work is, you, you pretty well know roughly what's coming tomorrow, or at least what category it's coming in. Moms who are staying at home, I can almost guarantee you what you're going to do tomorrow. Laundry, cleaning, cooking, getting the kids ready for, like, I mean, we know what's coming. That's part of lives. But for us as Christians, we have this mental block, this, this just like blind spot. We're looking around, you know, like Stephen and the pirate here this morning. It's like we've got a patch over our eyes. Sorry, Stephen, I had to say something. So be praying for our brother here. But it's, it's like the blinders are up when it comes to suffering. For the Christian, suffering should be as much of a given should be as little a surprise as a student taking a test, a bookkeeper getting audited, a nurse seeing a patient who happens to be sick. Suffering will happen. And somehow we've got into this mental just cloud that says when we trust Christ, everything's going to be happy and rosy and, and easy. And that's not what the Scriptures describe. And that's not what Jesus' life was like. So how are we surprised that we as Christians are getting a little bit of what Jesus endured? How are we surprised when Jesus says it's going to be hard, and it's hard, we can't figure out what's going on? You know, I'm guessing most everyone here would know that the lies of the prosperity preachers of, you know, give this seed of faith and you just believe enough and you'll be a millionaire and have a yacht like me. We know those are lies, right? But how often does this little subtleness of those same ideas creep in that if we really love God and follow Him enough, we'll not be the one who's laid off or we won't get cancer, or we won't have a wayward child, or, or maybe we will get pregnant, or maybe if we just pray hard enough, we'll get that promotion, or have an easy marriage. All our children will just magically obey. We, we have this block that we think of Jesus and God as this cosmic vending machine that makes all of life happy. Thought uh, my daughter right now she is she's got a um, My Little Pony doll you know and it's obnoxiously pink I mean more pink than the shirts I mean it is pink rainbow tails and like and I mean it's just her favorite little toy right now and she brushes the hair and all that and I uh, they had to shampoo it this weekend because it had kinks in it I, I don't even but. Sometimes we think of life like that, 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 you know, the ponies are going to be pink and have rainbow manes. And somehow we get into this block that that's going to be reality. But today's text talks about the final hours of Jesus before his arrest and trials and his crucifixion. We are see our Savior, God the Son, suffering. We see his dearest friends, the friends he asked to be with him, falling asleep in his weakest hour. Later, we'll see them deny that they even know him. A couple of weeks, Joe's going to take up the account of of Peter. And we're going to have a sermon just kind of tracing the whole life of Peter. There's going to be almost a chapter, so that's why I'm preaching this part and Joe's already preached part of the life of Peter. And then we'll kind of do a big summary. But I mean, we see this guy just fall apart and deny Jesus and cuss out a little girl who asked Him about Jesus. This is His best friend. This text today, I believe, is going to lead us to look at how should we suffer? How should we endure? How, what do we do when everything falls apart? How can we handle those waves that seem like they're going to sweep us out to see what happens when the rogue wave hits. So read with me now. Luke twenty-two, starting in verse thirty-five. Says, And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said, it's enough. Verse 39, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed them. And when He had come to the place, He said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and He knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. And there appeared to Him an angel from heaven strengthening Him. And being in an agony, He prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So today, we're going to talk about and break um, this passage down into four thoughts. Um, They're not magic, amazing revolutionary thoughts, but simple things from the text that we can miss if we're not careful. And what we want to do is, is see two things from Jesus today. One is his, his example. We want to see how Jesus suffered because we want to be like him. We trust him. We love him. We want to be Christ like. But we also want to see what Christ actually did. The person and the work of Jesus Christ, because I'm not that strong and neither are you. We won't always endure suffering well. We won't always make it. We will fail. We will fall and the good news in that. Is that Christ paid for that failure. He died for that. So you can have hope that when you rise your head in the morning, even after the worst day before, Not from outside, but from inside and what you did to yourself and everyone else. You can have hope that Christ has paid for that sin. And it's a new morning and his faithfulness is new every single day. So four things. The first one, very simple. We will suffer. We will suffer. Look with me there in verse thirty five. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. This is referring back to Luke chapter 9. So what happens at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry? He calls the twelve disciples. They were from all different walks of life, all different political parties. And he puts them together under the one common bond of following Jesus. And he says to these twelve people, I want you to go out. Don't even bother taking don't take a backpack don't take a change of clothes and just go and go to every village and they're going to receive you and if they don't you can leave that village and they come back and they talk about we started doing miracles they're blown away by what happened through them And, and people didn't reject them everything was really really good. See, during most of Jesus' ministry, the crowd was for Jesus. And so suddenly the disciples have got used to this. They're liking it. As a matter of fact, just a little bit later in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70. So not just the 12, but a whole bunch of other folks too. And they go out and he says, Don't even worry about planning. Don't worry about it. Just go tell. And they're received. They're fed. They're taken care of. And there's this sudden shift in what happens here. In verse 36. He said to him, but now let the one who has a money belt take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. In other words, get ready. That, that ease that you have, the, the, the fact that everybody likes me, it's about to go away tonight. You're entering a different world now. It's not going to all be friendly anymore. As a matter of fact, this same crowd that had rejoiced and had fed the disciples, that had given them a place to stay, was about to scream out, crucify Him to Jesus. And He was killed. And the disciples were suddenly, within hours of this passage, locking themselves in an upstairs room hiding from the Roman government who had crucified Christ. These eleven men All but one would be executed. And he was abandoned to an island about not a whole lot bigger than this property here. And he died alone. See, these men would suffer and so would Christians. All the way from Stephen, the first Christian martyr, to Polycarp, the guy who followed John the disciple up pastoring the church there in Ephesus. who was martyred. He was executed at age 80. They would suffer. And it's the same today. We will all suffer. It's part of life. We're in a broken world. And particularly for Christians, we're in a world that is hostile to us. That's not happy news this morning, but it is good news because it's reality And Christ is with us. What we're going to see for the rest of this text is how do we deal with this? What do we do when the bad times come? And the news is it's good that Christ is there, that we have Christ. When all we have is Christ, that's enough. And so we're going to talk very specifically about how do we deal with that? But first, I, I, I want to get into a little bit of this text. So when I first read this, um, I started last week kind of preparing for some of this. And, and I read the text and he said to them, I sent you out with no money bags or knapsacks and sandals. You did not lack anything. They said nothing. And He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And the one who has a sword or has no sword, sell his cloak and buy one. Let me tell you, Joe assigns these texts, not me. And I read that, and I was ready to yell across the office and let him know what I thought of him assigning those texts. I mean, it's like, hey guys, remember when you brought the? You, you know, I told you not know can bring a backpack. Yeah, yeah, it was good. All right, don't do that anymore. Bring a backpack and a and and you know some money and go buy a sword. Amen. Thus saith the Lord. Right. That's a confusing text. So is Jesus saying, you know, we all need to to go and carry around swords? I mean, what is happening here? So I want to talk just a little bit about what's going on. This shows the details of a narrative. It's it's a story that's happening. This was a real-life event with real-life people in a very specific situation. It shows us that stories are descriptive in Scripture. Now, Now, they do teach us, but all the details are not prescriptive. So let me say what I mean by that. They describe what happened. Jesus said to the disciples, hey, go sell your cloak and get a sword. He did not prescribe to all of you, one, you've got to go buy a cloak so you can sell the cloak and then buy a sword, right? This is not a command. This tells what happened. Um, for instance, think with me. Book of Acts. Y'all remember what happened when the Holy Spirit came? Alright. They're in the room, they're still chickens. They're they're hiding out, and there's a tornado like event in the room. Not outside, in the room. And suddenly they all have flames of fire above their heads. Alright? Now, I am pretty sure I have never heard a preacher command the congregation to have flames of fire around their heads or pray for a tornado in the worship area, right? This is an event. It happened. But well, we have preachers of other denominations who all the time prescribe and command you must speak in tongues like all those disciples did afterwards. And the quick answer is that absolutely I will speak in tongues when you got a flame over your head, right? Th- this is a description of what happened. And that's not to say that, that all folks who teach that are bad. They're some of our dear brothers in Christ but we have a disagreement about how to handle the Scriptures. When we come to a narrative text, we need to not expect there's going to be a tornado in here or flames on our head. Or expect that every single person's going to speak in tongues or go buy swords by selling our cloaks. We also need to not assume that every disease will be miraculously healed even though Jesus did heal many people. We need to not assume that we don't have to plan for the future because Jesus told His disciples not to worry about a mission money on a mission trip. Do you, do you get what He's saying here and where we're going? He told the disciples early on, hey, don't worry about money or anything like that. That was not prescriptive back in Luke 9. In the same way this, hey, go grab a sword, is not prescriptive in Luke 22. Don't assume that you need to go become a prepper wearing fatigues and open carry AR just because Jesus told these guys to go buy some swords. What it looks like in this text is that Jesus was setting them up from a miracle of healing that Joel will be talking about in just a couple of weeks. You see, Peter struck the ear off one of the people that came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus took the ear and placed it back and healed it there are never any remarks about the use of a sword by a Christian in the entire rest of the New Testament. Only upon Jesus' return does His Word come out of His mouth like a sword. And we are called to listen to the Word of God, the double-edged sword. But it's this, right? So we need to be very careful that we don't misinterpret this text as a literal call to arms, But a description of a a specific event in the final hours of Jesus and his disciples upon this earth. There are a lot of biblical principles that need to come into play when a Christian would consider whether or not he might possess a firearm for the defense of their family against random violence. Um, We need to consider and think about things like seeking peace, being a peacemaker, but but at the same time being wise and shrewd, and husbands being the house, the head of the house, and that, that they are to be good. Shepherds, but at the same time that Jesus commanded us to turn the other cheek. It's not a simple issue and good, godly Christians come down on both sides of this issue. This is not an issue upon which we divide. This is not an issue upon which we say, thus saith the Lord. We don't want to confuse this text as a proof text. Okay, that was really long, but that's the point. We don't want to confuse this text as a proof text for your view on firearms, possession of modern firearms, which didn't even exist when this happened. So that's not what's going on here. So what is happening? What do we take from that? And I want to give you three things. The first is that God calls you to share Jesus with your neighbors, your co-workers, across the world. And at times, that will cause you rejection and suffering. The disciples, it cost them their lives. Paul was apparently a fairly well-off guy when Christ saved him. He was fighting against God. He was actually attacking Christians. God saves him on a road. He appears to them. And then Paul leaves all of that. And at the end of his life, he's sitting in a prison cell. He's lost his sight. He has to have someone right for him. And he's still praising Christ. Sometimes, sharing Christ costs you dearly. Sometimes when God calls you to go on a mission trip, the money may not magically appear. And you may have to sacrifice deeply. You may have to work extra you may have to do fundraising and prayer. It doesn't just magically happen. When you want to share with your neighbor and they just want nothing to do with you and think you're you know, the neighborhood kook all of a sudden. When you're at a job that defines tolerance as accepting the lowest common denominator and every sin that's out there. You get called in the office and sent away. For holding to biblical truth. That's the witness Christ calls us to. And that's not to say sharing the Gospel is always hard and bad. There are lots and lots of joys evidenced by all the men and women you see sitting around this congregation. So many of whom have trusted Christ in this church. But sometimes you will suffer when you share the Gospel. Just as these men did. It's hard. Can be lonely, can be exhausting. But don't give up. Keep sharing. But two, not only sharing the gospel, but we're going to struggle with sin. We see that in the life of Peter. Peter said, Oh, I'm never going to deny you. I mean, you catch him in the passage we read early on. And yet he does. His intentions were great. Execution was total failure. I think of all the times. I've sat after committing a sin for the 3,000th time. God, take it Why? I want to follow You. Remember Paul's words? He says, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do. He says, oh, miserable man that I am. Coming up on the 500th anniversary as I talked about of Martin Luther's nailing the theses to the door. But Martin Luther at one time was so miserable over his sin prior to his conversion to Christ and finding grace that he would coister himself was the word. he locked lock himself up in a tower and use a literal whip, a cat of nine tails, to beat himself to try to get himself to stop sinning. He was miserable in his sin because he couldn't do what he knew the law of God demanded. But I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, do not give up. You know, I I, I thought about it as I was praying through this this week and thinking about things as my kiddos. When my kiddos come home, I've I've got a first grader and a kindergartner. When they come home and they've got the thing they've colored or made, Particularly Nathan. And some, some of you all know Nate. He has got energy, alright? There, there, are, there are children in this world who are envious of him for how energy... I mean, even the energy kids like... I mean, wow. He has got tons of energy. And so for him to sit and color, that's, that's discipline and work on his part. And he's doing it. I'm really proud of him. He's doing an amazing job at it. And so when he comes home with his coloring sheet that's not perfect, but he's put a lot of effort into... You know what that does for me as a dad to know he has forced himself to this one, and and then off to the next thing. Man, that makes my day. My son's growing up. My son is working hard. I don't go to him and say, "Young man, I mean, man, I could do way better." Man, uh, this is this is not where it needs to be here. I mean, you you know the 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 coloring lines—they're not all in the same. You, you switch directions, like yeah, those, those zebras aren't blue. Because it—it it, I'm his daddy. It makes my day when he's trying. My daughter loves art, and when she creates something, I don't think, man, that's not a Picasso, not a Rembrandt. Sweet girl, I love it. She made me a card for my birthday. And I mean, it just melted my heart. And you know, there was some capital letters, some lowercase. I mean, it kind of bounced around a little bit, but she'd written the message to me herself. Man, that meant the world to me. And brothers and sisters, this, this is what it is. When you, here on this earth, Where people die and jobs go away and sin batters us day in and day out when we sit there and say, Jesus, I I so want to do this sin with everything in my flesh, but I'm going to choose to worship You. I'm going to walk away from it to worship Your name and I don't feel like it, and I don't like it. I praise You, Jesus. You're better than that. Do you not understand that your heavenly Daddy is pleased with the work that Christ has worked in your heart and what He is doing? And if that cost you the boyfriend, because you won't go down that road, you have pleased your heavenly Father. Praise God. So suffer, suffer well in sin. We're gonna fight, and that's a good, good thing, pleasing to our daddy. But finally, not only in our sin, not only in our witness, some of it is just being in this broken world. We're in a world broken with sin, and it's gonna come from cancer and economics and people who are angry at you. A world. Who calls truth bigotry? It's going to hit, and it's going to hit every one of us. So what do we do? Well, let me turn to another scripture. James one two through four says this: it says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet with various kinds of trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing in other words endure the course stay in there and we're going to have three specific ways from this text that says stay the course hold on because we're going to be christ-like and that day is going to come when jesus comes back and says well done my good and faithful servant not because you've worked hard not because you've done that but because he's changed and transformed your heart by His death on the cross, His resurrection, and His giving you of His Holy Spirit. There's good news in for this. This is not a hopeless day even when it all goes down. Stay the course. Stay the course. So three ways. Number two on there on your outline. Our sin is worse than we think. And Jesus is better than we can imagine. Wow, that got loud. Excuse me now. Learn not to hit that thing again. Our sin is worse than we think, and Jesus is better than we can imagine. I want to read again. Starting in verse 37. For I tell you that this Scripture must be fulfilled in Me. And He was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about Me has its fulfillment. Here's what's happening here. Jesus is actually quoting the Old Testament. It's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, 10 through 12. Let's read that for just a moment. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'll read it to you. Isaiah fifty-three. Verses ten through twelve. It says this Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. This is speaking of the God the Father to God the Son. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. In other words, Jesus made an offering of His very body for our guilt. And now He sees us sitting here. He shall prolong His days. The will of the Lord shall prosper His hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. The salvation that's been wrought. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. This is a beautiful passage. So in other words, Jesus, the righteous One, the One who lived perfectly, who did not fail in His suffering, but lived the perfect life, He has made us righteous by giving us, by crediting us His righteous acts and His righteous deeds when we trust Him in faith. There at the end of 11, and He shall bear their iniquities. Let me read that with a modern context. He shall bear our our iniquities. Our sin is on Jesus. Therefore, I will divide with Him a portion of the many, and He shall divide the spoil with the strong because He has poured out His soul to death and He was numbered with the transgressors. In other words, He was counted as a sinner. Yet He bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So here's what it says. Jesus took your sin upon Himself. This is what's happening. It is somewhere, and we don't know the exact moment, but it's not important on that, somewhere in this process. When Jesus is praying, when it says He started sweating drops like blood, when He's being tortured and beaten, when He's before His between four and six trials that He endures, as He carries His cross and then is crucified there, Jesus is taking your sin and my sin on His very body. You see, Jesus' suffering that He was praying about, it wasn't just, it wasn't even primarily the physical suffering, though that was horrible. You see, the suffering of Christ was bearing my sins and yours. You see, our sins are much, much worse. Think about our terms. A little white lie. Oh, I made a mistake. It's an affair. It's not adultery. We candy coat our sin to make ourselves feel better. And we see that other person out there that's always worse. But the reality is, my sin, my sin alone would have driven Christ to the cross. Jesus bore the guilt of everything you've ever done. And that is good. Hopeful news. It's what He said. For what is written about Me has its fulfillment. The promise that was had and and they sacrificed bulls and goats, pigeons. To think about the ugliness, the death that sin causes for those thousands of years. Suddenly, this night, all came undone. And all of that guilt was laid on Christ. And He bore Your sin. So, husband, when your wife commits that great, heinous act against you, or teenager, when your parent does something out of anger instead of out of love in their discipline, as we've been so reminded this week, woman, when that man commits an act of evil against you, even that was taken upon the cross. Jesus died for sin. So suddenly there is freedom for you. No matter how low you are, how great you see your debt, Christ it on the cross. And so when you are in that moment of suffering, When you are at the point you know your soul can't take another piece of bad news. And you know you're at that breaking point? Christ has already covered you. When you know your suffering is because of your own stupidity and you caused it all, Christ has borne that. You don't bear the guilt of that anymore. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, You are free. So when you are suffering, know there's a Savior not only who has suffered, but has suffered for you. He's the propitiation. That means He has satisfied the wrath of God. He's the substitute. means He has taken your guilt instead of you bearing it yourself. So I want you to think back with me to the Old Testament. Um, If you're not familiar with it, it's a long read, but it's a really good thing to read. It's the book of Job. Spelled Job. Job. Job was a godly man. He loved the Lord. And the Bible says that Satan came and, and wanted to test him because he, he wanted to prove that Job didn't love God really in his heart. He just loved all the good things that God gave him. And God gave him permission. We don't understand that, but he did. And so Job's suffering was not because of his sin. Now, For most of us, that's not the case. Usually, we get ourselves into our own messes, right? But Job, not the case. God Himself says Job's a righteous man. And he suffers and he suffers. He loses his kids. He loses his wealth. He was a very, very rich man. He loses his ways of producing wealth. His farms are destroyed. He loses everything except his wife. It would have been better for him if he lost his wife. She was not a good wife. She makes him miserable. And then his friends come. They say, Job, you're such a horrible person. You have to be the worst man on earth for God to do this to you. He just suffers and suffers and suffers. And finally, he just cries out to God. What, what are you doing to me? It's almost the how dare you, God. God comes to him and says, Who are you? Did did you make those stars? Did you do all that? Do you know their names? Because I do. I made them. And Job realizes his suffering wasn't his sin's fault. But, he'd sinned in his suffering. He'd gotten prideful and arrogant and bitter even at God. So let me tell you, here's the good news. When you're suffering and you sin, Christ has died for that sin. So trust Him and repent every single time. And if you don't know Christ, if, if this is new to you, you've been exploring about Christ, you, you've been trying to find out what Christianity is about, or maybe it's just clicked today. Maybe you're a teenager or you're a student that you've been dealing with this all weekend maybe it is today that you need to say, I trust Christ finally. I trust Him. I turn to Him from my own self. So first, our sin is worse than we think. But Jesus is better than you can imagine. Second, which it's third on the outline. I should have done this numbering differently. We desperately need God's Word in our suffering. We desperately need God's Word in our suffering. Our suffering is not just about getting through or getting out. Our suffering's not just about getting through or getting out. Remember, back to James, our suffering is to produce Christ-likeness. It's to produce in the long run joy of being like Christ. So we need desperately God's Word in our suffering. So, So look what Jesus said. There in verse 37 again. For I tell you that this Scripture must be fulfilled in me. And then later, for what was written about Me has been fulfilled. You see, Jesus is the point of the Scriptures. And the whole point of Christianity is Christ. It is Jesus. It's knowing Him. It's being forgiven by Him. Becoming like Him. And so in your suffering, you need Jesus. That's the no-brainer, right? But what we just, again, get divorced in our mind from is we hear about Him here. We know who Jesus is through His Word. And just turn with me for a second. And I know, probably everyone in here knows this passage. Turn with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Y'all know where it is. Most of you could quote it, but I want you to see those words. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... You know, when I was younger, hadn't been through as much, I used to thought that was, think that was just a simple statement. This is David arguing with himself, the Lord is my shepherd, so I shall not. He is telling himself what he needs to hear and has been captured by God in Scripture for us to do the same thing. To tell your soul the truth. I shall not want when everything in you wants. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Uh, Flip just a few pages to Psalm 46. We could keep reading, but I want you to see this. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It goes on and on. And we could read the Psalms of how David cries out, and he cries out, my soul is aching. One place he says, it feels like my bones are crushing within me. And then this phrase keeps coming up over and over in the Psalms, but still I will trust you, God. This is what our souls need. We need Romans chapter eight when it's the low day. We need to hear from God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We need to hear Jesus say, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. We need to hear even the simple Scriptures of John 3.16, for God so loved. When you're suffering, you have the revelation of the God of the universe. Right here. Open it up. Open it up. Last thing. So our sin is worse, but Jesus is better. We desperately need God's Word. And finally, suffering is so hard, even Jesus spent time in prayer. Suffering is so hard, even Jesus went to prayer. When things got at their worst, Jesus prayed. So when things are at their worst for you, pray like Jesus. Did you see how He prayed? Let this cup pass. I don't want to do this, God. But then there was that trust, but not my will, but yours. All right, so there's a question here. I want to hit real quick. Does God have two wills? Right? Because God the Father sent Jesus to the cross. Jesus said, I don't want to do this. Jesus is God the Son. You start getting like this weird paradox. I mean, it sounds like something off, you know, back to the future. Time paradox here. How is God the Son? and God the Father's will separate and and what we want to do there's just a a easy to say hard to comprehend answer Jesus Christ was fully human he he truly took on a body everything that we are about us being human was true for Jesus he had to eat he had to sleep he got tired he, he had people people irritated Jesus and you imagine? I mean he was human but all of that without sin, because he was also fully God. And so, Jesus in his flesh, the cross did not sound fun. Bearing our sin, being separated for the first time in all of eternity from God the Father, had a perfect relationship. Yeah, he, he didn't really want to do that, as none of us would. But he's still fully God. So He fully submitted to the Father's will. So There's not two wills in the sense of of God Himself, but Jesus was fully human. And so yeah, He had desires just like every one of us. Jesus' suffering was directly connected to our sin. The physical was just a minor issue. And so He goes and He begs. It says his sweat became like drops of blood. I can't imagine the intensity. He prayed all night long. But what do we do in prayer? Oh yeah, God bless the missionaries. You know, it's amazing when I have an issue. It's almost like 15-20 minutes after I've been just racking my brain, there's nothing I can do. Oh wait, I should pray. But, but I And mean, isn't that what we do? We truly do not see prayer for what it is. We are talking to the God of the universe, the one person in the world who can actually do something about the problem. I mean, right? No, we just don't do it. Be it laziness. Be it not truly believing God actually works. Be it self-sufficiency. Because we think we don't really need it if we told the truth. Go to God in prayer. Beg the Father. Beg the Father for what you want. See what, follow the example of Jesus. What did Jesus ask for? He asked for what he wanted. I don't want to do this. But all the time trusting God the Father's better plan. So, when your relative that you love so dearly is ill, man, ask for him to be healed. When you have the option of the promotion, man, pray for it. Ask. Go boldly. The, the way Hebrews puts it, go boldly before the throne of God. Ask. But constantly submitting yourself to Christ. But you know what you may need? Just to suffer just a little more. Pray like Jesus did. Pray like Jesus did. As we wrap up, I want to tell you a little personal story that, that it, it just kind of made this come together for me. Um, my brother is an incredible musician. Um, he plays every instrument known to man, I think. I mean, he just will pick up an instrument and 15 minutes later he could get up here and lead worship with it. I mean, just amazing musician. And um, one of the instruments he plays and loves is banjo. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a woodworker and we talked about it sometime always wanted to build an instrument he asked me to build a banjo now that's not an easy task and it, and it wasn't well chad doesn't have chad's not playing today he didn't have his banjo eyes not the big shiny gling, you know metal junk and all that i mean he he plays like old school banjo he wanted fretless banjo for for any of you who are aware of that like none of the little lines were there he just got to know where to put his fingers and so i made this i, I put together what's called the pot the round thing and um there were like 150 pieces of wood in that thing all done together and I put designs into it. And this is what I do at night. I mean, just so you know, yeah, I'm not just a nerd when I talk. I'm a nerd in everything I do. And I mean, there's all these little pieces and put that all together and it turned and I actually kind of developed a new system to hold the leather on there. And then I you know, carved the neck and I actually inlaid it um, with uh, a lion. A scene from Daniel in the lion's den for my brother Daniel put it all together, put all this hard, you know, the hardware to hold the strings and it's sitting there and I let it sit for like two months. Because the tension on a banjo with those strings is incredible. And that that head that stretched over there, especially on one of these, it's, it's made of goat skin, rawhide. In other words, when it gets wet, it like tightens up. And I mean, this used to be like, I mean, they would kill people with that. It would tighten so much it could strangle people. I mean, it's it's can be dangerous. And so this tension that gets on this banjo is insane. And so if the banjo's not made correctly, you put the head on and then all those strings and you know what happens? Twang, no more banjo. And I mean I was just like it literally sat in my house. Done. And I just I just couldn't bring myself and then finally one day I you know I stretched the skin over it and you just you can wet it and you you walk away. It's either going to happen or it isn't. I then put the neck on, started tensioning up those strings. And it actually takes a few days that you slowly bring the tension up on this thing. It scared me to death. Thankfully, it didn't blow up. Um, I never put the strings on. All that work that I put into it, completely useless, right? The whole point of a banjo is to be played. Without the tension, it couldn't sing. And without the tension and the pressure and the stress and turning up the heat on your lives, I can't sing the song that you were created to sing. You're not going to be the person you were made to be takes the hard stuff to make you Christ-like. That's when we grow. So today, as we conclude, the worship team is going to come up here. We're going to sing an anthem. All I have is Christ. And my challenge to you today is sing that. If you're suffering, sing that. If you're not suffering, Don't worry, there's tomorrow. Sing that. Sing it. Let the tension of your life make the music to sing to Christ because He's totally worth it and He's good and kind and will carry you all the way through. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. Lord, may we truly sing Your songs. May we sing... All I have is Christ. And in those moments where we feel like there truly is nothing left but Christ, Jesus, be enough for us. May we be truly satisfied in that. pray for every man, every woman, every student, child here. And may we turn to You, Jesus. Because of You we pray. Amen.